0: And now
1: proper proper property. Watch Pull my mic back. You're like that, journalist with journalists too. We can strike back hard war reporters with orders from headquarters behind enemy lines, sidestepping the borders.
0: Um if you're just tuning in to Civic Sacker, I'm your host Ramses Jock. I go by the name Q Ward. And um be sure to stick You got a lot more coming, right? We are going to talk about one specific way that police are able to justify the killing of black people you know a lot of what we talk about on the show if you're new around here is uh you know the way that police treat black bodies and black lives um and i think that it's a reflection of i think it i think it's fear-based you know this is me trying to be to give the officer some grace Q has you know a lot of people have different opinions but yeah, i recognize I cringe
1: every time you say that well
0: you know what how about we just get into it but first let's talk about um how to become a better ally so today we're going to talk about a person named reverend robert w lee not to be confused with Robert E Lee. Okay. Uh, so this article comes from CNN. Um, Robert W Lee felt like his integrity was being challenged when Confederate defenders conf- continued to accuse him of lying about being a distant relative of Confederate general, Robert E Lee. He proved them wrong with a 400 page genealogy report he received in October. But the North Carolina pastor and social justice advocate says the accusations were a distraction from the difficult conversations American needs to have about history. Quote, I believe it was an attempt to discredit the hard work I put into removing the statues and monuments to my ancestor, Lee told CNN last week. In January, Axios reviewed the genealogy report and interviewed the pastor, his father and his grandmother family has consistently disputed claims by confederate sympathizers that the social justice advocate was not related to the confederate general they hired a genealogist to put put an end to the false reports in short this pastor reverend robert w lee is a descendant of robert e lee and not only does he work to get robert e lee statues taken down he is a social justice advocate and he went so far as to prove that he is the distant uh, relative of Robert E. Lee. Or, I mean, I'm sure it's a direct lineage, but you know, relative nonetheless. And I'm sure this guy's bloodline is probably not, or at least the name doesn't. The name probably follows this guy. So the Confederate sympathizers really wanted him to be on their their side, and he's totally not. So that is a better ally. And if you want to become a better ally, you can take a page out of that book. So once again, shout out Robert W. Lee. Around here, we never
1: shout out Robert E. Lee. All right. Next up. We know that...
0: When you fight the law, there's a good chance the law is going to win, right? Um, In fact, we have an upcoming episode that we're working on producing right now, Q&I, that talks about this in depth. So we might revisit some of these topics in the future, but suffice it to say that there are maybe 10,000 laws, federal statutes, or other things that you can do wrong um that you can be arrested for and you probably know 20 or 30 of them right but that means there's 10,000 opportunities for you to not know something and then get arrested for it and if you admit that you did something or are unconfused and you're communicating and trying your best to you know whatever um you know if if the police want a conviction or they want to take you down they can if they get behind your car and follow you long enough you will break a law that you didn't know existed and they'll pull you over justifiably and then they can interrogate you and you know effectively do what they want that that's kind of how the laws are set up right to privilege police officers at every conceivable point along the process and people that know that are people that are aware of how to play the game you know and people that don't know that might feel like you know, maybe just being a good person is good enough. Or maybe if I just cooperate, that's good enough. Or maybe if I, you know, and then people, there's other people who don't feel that way. They're like, no, these people are not here for me. I need to run. And we already know that you can get nine warning shots in the back as you flee the police officer because they were afraid. We've seen it happen over and over again. We might even happen again this week. So not trying to be all doom and gloom, like it's a no-win situation, but we have to be... <laughs> I see your face, dude. Uh, well, we, we have to deal with the real around here, right? So something that I found interesting was the ways that officers can defend themselves. And one that stood out to me was how police shoot into a fleeing Car, right? I would love to see how they are able to excuse a person running away on foot, but they have a way that they um, ha- they have uh, advantages if they end up on the bench in a courtroom trying to justify their actions. So I'll read this comes from the New York Times, and the contributors were Kim Barker, Steve E. and David Kirkpatrick, and Arya Sundrum. So this Times investigation was into a common defense for shooting motorists that found that some officers had put themselves in danger or others appeared to face no peril at all right This comes from Phoenix City, Alabama they spell it differently um, so on a Sunday in May 2017 a patrol car sat outside the city's oldest public housing project. Uh, Housing projects are basically the projects. And I'm sure everyone knows what the projects are. So this police car was sitting outside of the projects. uh, Waiting for anyone acting suspiciously. How about that? The two police officers heard Cedric Mifflin before they saw him. Blasting music from a silver mercury grand marquee. That sounds about right. Projects grand marquee. Okay. Then they tried to pull him over. He wasn't wearing a seatbelt. Mr. Mifflin, a 27 year old black man, kept driving. What happened next is disputed naturally. Uh, but how it ended is certain. Officer Michael Sievers leapt out of the patrol car, drew his gun, and fired 16 times at the moving car. He thought Mr. Mifflin intended to run him over, he said later. Now, from what I've seen, it doesn't matter which direction you're driving, because in some places the way the laws are written um they could say you are going to hit another person they could say you were going to hit me if you're even if you're fleeing do you see how it's it's written in such a way and we're going to talk about their like the police conduct codes where they can't be held accountable for those sorts of things right and you need to know this because we all need to know the world that we're living in we need to know the if we don't know this then we think Maybe if I get away, I can live to see another day, right? And it might make you stop and think. Now, granted, this is an Alabama situation and not everyone lives in Alabama, but these types of things are very much commonplace. Police officers teach their children how to react to police very differently An investigation into traffic, traffic stops across America and the deaths of hundreds of motorists at the hands of police. Um, okay, here's one of the, the, the um, I guess, statutes or rules or whatever. Personnel, this is the police, shall adhere to the following restrictions when their weapon is exhibited. I think that means like drawing their weapon, okay. Officers should not fire their weapons from or at a moving vehicle unless circumstances require otherwise. See how vague that is.
1: Unless circumstances require otherwise. See how vague that is.
0: Um, and this is uh, the Scott's, the Scott County Sheriff's Office in Iowa, um, and that's the uh, among the shortest and vaguest policies about shooting at moving vehicles that this Times article found. Um, and and you got to know so almost everything that is related to policing and um, the criminal justice system in this country is it disproportionately affects Black people, right? and black people are oftentimes at the bottom we talked about that in the first part of the show you know black people are oftentimes at the bottom and we have to be resilient and we are resilient people um but that doesn't mean that we don't see it we don't see like how like you know i know white folks some white folks be like oh there's no such thing as white privilege i wasn't born with a million dollar check and of course with white privilege that's not what that's about white privilege is not being born with a couple strikes against you. You get a clean slate when you start, right? Anyway, um, but for some of us, seeing white people interact with the police is like a superpower. I was jogging today and I saw there was two ladies that were talking to the police on purpose. They were just, just having a conversation. It was crazy. And for me, I'm like, oh man, the, if the police are around, I need to make sure that nobody's afraid. I need to make sure they're not here for me. I know I didn't do anything wrong, but that's just the reality of the world that we live in, right? It's not paranoia. It's like the, real, the actual lived reality. We've been picked on by the police, collect together and apart and separately and all that.
1: We've um, been picked on by the police while feeding the homeless. <laughs> I remember that. And I think
0: that what this does is this hopefully helps... Suggest to you listening what it must feel like to be a Black person, how it feels to be a Black person. Everybody, it's like we we talked earlier about Black lives. We have to say Black lives matter because otherwise, if we just look in our environments, look at the news and look at these sorts of things, it feels like black lives don't matter that's how it feels and i think sharing what it feels like to be a black person in america is very important and you know around the world you know
1: it's 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 important to point that out right like white supremacy and racism are not just prevalent here you know i've been watching the news as you know things around the world are very contentious and downright scary right now um if you're paying attention to the coverage of the you know the conflict in ukraine and i'm listening to the reporters from all of these different places around the world that are covering that conflict and that story and the reason that they're so caught off guard by it or so appalled by it or so in shock or just otherwise feel it's something unordinary is because the people involved are white Mm. They're white European people. And the reporters, you know, professional journalists that are covering this thing see fit to point out like, hey, we need to let you guys know this stuff isn't happening in list some country where the people are brown. Right. As if if it was happening there, you shouldn't be shocked like this stuff happens there all the time. And any place that's popping to your head as you're listening to me, yeah, those places—Libya, Syria, you know, whatever—Afghanistan, Afghanistan, yeah, anywhere where the people aren't white Christians, we should expect that. But not these are these are European people. They, they look, they, remember they look the like us. She said they have blue eyes. Yeah, they have the blonde hair. They they have blue eyes. They look like us. These people are saying this, and they don't feel like they're saying anything wrong. You know, and then you look at you know, on the ground, while most people have a sentimental view of what Ukrainians are going through, but even as they're being persecuted, you know, you look at people trying to flee the country and African students in Ukraine being refused an exit, being put off of charters and buses and trains trying to get over the border and out of the country. They have to go to the back of the line, in fact. And not just that, if they're already on, they have to get off. So this is not unique to America. We've just mastered it here. Yeah. You know, well, I think there's
0: something to be said about that because. In America. You know, and we all have. A way to contribute to American society in a very small way. So this is all of our responsibility. But in America, our American culture is the de facto global culture, right? If it comes from America, it's right, it's cool, it's pop, the movies, the music, you know, that's black music, by the way, but- Say that. But if it comes from America, then it's the best, you know, oh, you're in America. We have been around the world. I've seen it, you know, oh, you're American? I've seen people come to America. It is America? You know, I've, I've heard, I've, that's, a, that's an actual story I could tell. Um, and so if Americans, if we, perhaps, I'll, I'll say it this way. If we were born into a culture that doesn't value Black life, that doesn't appreciate Uh, our Mexican brothers and sisters, you know, and the fact that at least in the part of the country where we live, this is where they're from, right? And our native brothers and sisters, you know what I mean? If we have a culture like that and we allow that culture to persist and we do not challenge that culture, then we should never be shocked when we see in Ukraine that they don't value black life. We have to accept responsibility for our influence over the global culture as well. Now, you might argue with me, well, no, Britain did this, and France is a lot older of a country. Yeah, sure. And if I go there, I will tell them about themselves too. I'm really good at that. Actually, Q's a little better at it. (laughs) But I'm not bad. But we're here. We're in the United States of America. You might think this is the greatest country in the world. I wouldn't be mad at you for thinking that, provided that you challenged it to continually improve. You have that mamba mentality where the best only means that you need to get better. And if you feel like that, then yes, you can tell me that America is the best country in the world because you are challenging the country to be better.
1: And I guess for some people it is though. Talk to them, Right. Like if the country suits your needs, everything about the way the country is constructed, the way the laws are enforced, the way society responds to you. Right. If you're Jeff Bezos, this is the best country in the world. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. If, if you're the if you're the if you fit the status quo. Right. If you are the heterosexual Christian white man and you just so happen to be rich. There is no there is no better place on Earth than here. Sure. Yeah. Right. So that statement can't be blanketed in a way that it applies to every citizen that lives here. And that lack of accountability, I think, is what kind of rubs us both wrong. If you're going to hold us up as the best nation in the world, we should be constantly proving that. Yeah. You didn't become the best 300 years ago and you're still the best because of that. If you haven't improved since then, if you haven't made strides to make the land of the free and the home of the brave, if you hadn't gone out of your way to make that true for everyone that calls themselves a citizen here. Then you can't hold that flag up and tell the rest of the world how much better than them you are. I want to add to that because you said something really important 300 years ago.
0: Right. And every citizen. So there were a group of citizens 300 years ago who. afforded this country its economic uh, status, superpower status, right? And what I mean specifically is that there were black bodies brought over here to do the labor and that labor built this country and built this country's wealth. And for black people to charge the country with doing better, for Kaepernick to kneel, I think that's fair. And for people to say, no, you have to leave this country.
1: Wait a minute. No, no, no,
0: that's not what we're talking about. We love Africa, sure, in the romantic sense, but this is home. I was born in California. Those are the beaches that I go to, you know. And I I think it's dismissive when people adopt arguments like that. You know, the only thing that we're trying to do, again, you've never heard of like any real, realistic, like race, you know, like black people aren't looking for revenge or anything like that. It's like, listen, man, ever since W.E.B. Bois, there was the ask to be treated equally, the ask to allow us our value as conscious beings whose, in, whose consciousness was... Endowed to us from a common creator, whoever you believe that to be. We all come from that same creator, right? We are just like you. We just want to be treated fairly. We would like for our lives to have some value in society. It may not have value in your home specifically, but if there's a government in place, you know, for hundreds of years, we've been asking for that. Well, I guess not hundreds, but at least a hundred now. Um,
1: you can say hundreds we've been asking for it. Sure. Okay. Yeah. You
0: know? But I, I yeah. mean, it I know in the 1800s, it was 150 of yeah. like formal a, asks. It hadn't
1: been a realistic ask at one yeah. point, but, but you get the point I'm making. So, um, so
0: yeah, I think there's something to be said about absolutely taking some responsibility for the goings on in other countries in the way that those other countries treat melanated, uh, individuals you know i think andre 3000 was the one who wore a shirt on stage at one of his last performances this had to have been years ago but uh, you know andre 3000 of outcast hopefully you know that name if you're listening to us <laughs> but uh, he says uh, on the shirt it said something to the effect uh, effectually said around the world uh darker skinned people get treated worse and then it asked the question why um, and I just remember, you know, it's funny what a man recollects. I remember that shirt it just stood out to me. It was like, man, he's on stage and he's really putting that question out there. Maybe it's a real ask. Maybe he wanted to know. But I do believe that we do bear some responsibility if we live in the dominant culture. And if you're listening to us, then we count you as an ally and we lean on you to help take the conversations that we have in this room into your friend circles and into your homes at your kitchen tables with your grandfathers and your grandmothers who, you know, maybe they're, you know, uh, they've supported the last president because he could, um, you know, maybe bolster their, their wallets or their checkbooks. And they maybe didn't give too much thought to the human beings who might be affected by his speech and maybe even his policies. People had to live with that. You know, we're, based in the Southwest of the United States. So that border wall he was talking about, that's right in our backyard. And the people that we know and love and interact with on a day-to-day basis, they had to deal with a lot of, they felt like they were under attack. We talked about black suicide in the last segment. You know, it's very easy to feel like you're under attack. And so let's all take responsibility. And I know we got a little bit sidetracked here, but also when it comes to interacting with, police i think that we really just wanted you to know that there's a lot more ways that police are able to justify their actions we we know that these are just excuses these are these these there's not a real threat here the cars driving away none of those things are real but the way the law works in this country the laws work in this country Um, They privilege police officers and allow them the exit. And then they get a pat on the back, believe it or not. You're a good cop. You shouldn't have gone through that and so forth. And so you just need to know these things. I'm not knocking on police officers. The officers, they're human beings. I'm talking about the institutions and I have to and don't at me. And I think now it's time for the way black history facts. So we'll do that. (laughs) So the way black history fact today comes from blackhistory.com WIC maybe you don't know what the WIC program is but I do
1: do you know what the WIC program is? indeed
0: alright so I uh, grew up poor and the WIC program was a term that I heard a lot you know my family was poor you know I didn't always live the life I live now you know what I mean And uh, the WIC program, uh, for those that don't know, uh, WIC stands for Women, Infant and Children. It's a federal nutrition program to help families of all races across the country with low cost food products. Um, Like it says, it's just a government program. It's not quite food stamps or welfare. Maybe it is welfare. I'm not sure if it qualifies, but it's the WIC program. Um, and again, women, infants, and children. Uh, and the biggest group of recipients of welfare is white women, poor white women, just so you know. So we're not talking about black people specifically. Today, of course we are, but um, in terms of welfare, most of the money goes to poor white women with kids and rightfully so, because that's a huge chunk, of, a much bigger chunk of the population than black women they'd have you believe otherwise however yeah but the, you know the way the narrative is painted so we have to that's what we're here to do is to challenge all that nonsense that these other people get off all the time and they got the right ones for it too because we be doing that all right so um the wick program was created by the black panther party in the late 1960s um now not as such but The free breakfast program, which we might have some time to get into in schools, how they have a free free breakfast program in the morning Um, that was taken, adopted by the government and implemented in schools across the country. Free breakfast for kids because the Black Panthers were doing it. Same thing about this WIC program. So we will say that it was created by the Black Panther Party in the late 1960s. Uh, some of the foods that are a part of the WIC program are milk, eggs, yogurt, wheat, bread, uh, cheese, and more. All right, according to Gabriel Scott, a respected lecturer and historian, other programs that are that the Black Panther Party created were the free, free breakfast program, as we mentioned, for, hun- for hungry children; free health clinic; free employment program; free ambulance program; GED classes; visiting nurses program, and much more. Their most popular one was the free breakfast program that started in 1969 by the leadership. The founder is Bobby Seale, and Huey Um, the initial purpose of the Black Panther Party's establishment was to fight police brutality and exercise the right to self-defense. What began as a revolutionary organization quickly turned into a social organization as well. Naturally, um, they fed free breakfast to thousands of children before school. He gained so much attention that the politics and revolutionary tactics of the Black Panthers were less threatening and intimidating to the government than the free meals they were giving out. However, it did not stop FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover Hoover from organizing a counterintelligence program, which is Counterintel Pro, to sabotage and destroy the Black Panther Party and everything they had established. Um, And I believe he was the same person, J. Edgar Hoover, that said the uh, It was like the greatest threat to American democracy or something like that was the free breakfast program by the Black Panther Party uh, for self-defense. But yes, the WIC program is another such program that was born from the, it's a legacy program of the Panthers. And what the government would do is so that people would not sympathize with the Panthers. You know, if, if you are, if you didn't grow up Black, or maybe if you did, but if you didn't grow up black, there's a, we'll say there's a much higher chance that the history that has been taught to you about the Black Panthers has caused you to be afraid of black power, right? And it's funny because black power and power to all people <laughs> were two of their, uh, their famous like slogans. But um, the one thing the government didn't want was people. Uh, empathizing with the panthers because the government didn't need black power black organization the government needed black subjugation right um and these are well-documented things this isn't just rams it's just rattling off some new stuff this is
1: like i've been knowing this since i was born you've been knowing this since you were born so it's, it's the type of thing that can make your stomach hurt sure sure when you get into the truth and the facts behind The director of the FBI. It's heavy. You know, somebody that's supposed to be our most trusted. And advising the president of these things. Yeah. And Um, the other, you know, elected officials. Going out of their way, as as you said, to shape a very negative narrative. Because the last thing they needed was empathy, sympathy and support around intelligent, empowered, sophisticated Black people. We have to make them out to be lawless savages. Isn't that crazy?
0: That's the same thing they did. They're trying to do with Black Lives Matter. You know, yeah, they're outspoken and revolutionary and they have strong language, but it's not meant to suggest that, like, man, people got to get less scared. Everyone is so scared.
1: Mm. They Um, try to wrap it in fear. It is not that.
0: uh, But that's a different show. I,
1: I have. You know, I know you get on me all the time, Q, but that's that's how I say it. I know? mean, just like we said, the vehicle's driving that way. Well, you had it's to very, it. very difficult to convince me you shot that car 16 times because you were afraid it was going to harm you as it's driving away from you. That's that's the wildest thing.
0: Um, I do want to read this. It's a little bit more of the same, but this one comes from Wikipedia just because I want to impress this upon you. The free breakfast program for school children was a community service Um it focused on providing uh, breakfast before school. Uh, the bre- the, it began at Father Earl A. Neal's St. Augustine Episcopal Church, located in West Oakland, California, and spread throughout the nation. Um, and It was an early manifestation of the social mission envisioned by Black Panther founders Huey Newton and Bobby Seale, uh, along with the founding of, their founding of the Oakland Community School, which provided high-level education to 150 children from impoverished urban neighborhoods. Um, The breakfast formed the core of what became known as the party's survival programs inspired by contemporary research about the essential role for breakfast for optimal schooling and the belief that alleviating hunger and poverty was necessary for black liberation. The Panthers cooked and served food to poor inner city youth of the area. The service created community centers of various cities for children and parents to simultaneously eat and learn more about black liberation and the Black Panther Party's efforts. Um, that's the Black Panthers. If the police drive to your neighborhood and they are looking for a Black person to hurt, which was the reality, then the Black people the exercising their Second Amendment, organized, bought some guns and says, no, we're going to fight back. What do you do when we're under attack? Stand up, fight back. I forget the chant. Don't, don't, all the people I marched with, don't get mad at me. I haven't chanted in a while, but, um, But yeah, again, it's important that we know this and we talk about it and we dispel some of the fears associated with, you know, Black history, Black Panthers, of course, and maybe even Black Lives Matter now, because it's not meant to harm anyone. It's meant to uplift some people and to demand it. And the demand, I think, is the part that might sound scary to some people. If you're not one of those people, we appreciate you. But our time is up. So once again, thank you for listening to us here on Civic Cypher. I'm your host, Ramses Jock.
1: Ja. I go by the name Q Ward.
0: Be sure to check us out um, next week. Same time, same channel. In the meantime, you can hit us up with any questions, topics, make a donation, anything like that. Hit the website, civiccypher.com. Follow us on all social media at CivicCipher. And of course, you can download this and any previous episodes that you like. We would love to uh, get in your ear more often than we do a that one you can be back. So until next week, y'all. Peace.
1: Hey yo, we handle it. These brothers are fabulous. Yeah. Dial showing you what rhyme travel is. world world's spittoon from sunlight to moon. Bussing off stage like gunfight saloons. Pull my mic back. You like that? Journalists we're journalists too. We can strike back. Hardcore reporters with orders from headquarters. Behind enemy lines, sidestepping the borders. With press passes, we bring it to you as it happens. Love my crew for music and rapping. Street commander slash beat expander. Here to fight the slander with the proper propaganda. What's happening? You got a question to ask it? The news is just a TV show. Get past it. And this from a quiet wartime.